You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We're going to be talking a lot about private free market health insurance today. We're going to go through a number of segments, but you can catch some of the past segments because we're building up and have gone now five previous weeks plus this week, and we've got a couple more weeks to go to completely and fully outline a system for private health insurance that will allow for better cost, coverage, and access to care. Our previous sessions are on americaswebradio.com. We can find it also on healthcareinsight.net. Now, what we want to focus on is the cost of care. Access and quality were covered in last week's session. This week, I want to focus on the cost of care or affordability. One of the biggest issues is how can we lower the cost of health insurance, which can lower the cost of health care if it's done right. We talked about quality of care and access to care, and the key is having private free market health insurance in order to afford that. You cannot get good health care without good health insurance. So let's talk about how we can lower the cost and create a more affordable health insurance market. Well, Lower insurance costs for individual health policies and small groups is really the key around the concepts we've been presenting over the last several weeks. The concept we've been presenting, and we've been calling it MAGA Health, I know that can be politically off-putting to some, but I've used it in order to highlight and differentiate, maybe get some attention to something that otherwise people would not be paying attention. There's so many different ideas and thoughts out there. How do you cut through the clutter? So I've called it MAGA Health. I don't expect at this point to be a bipartisan approach. Uh, one party wants to go towards uh, government control. Uh, the other party says they want to go towards private free markets, but they really don't have a plan. So it's that party that I'm trying to approach, the Republican Party, conservatives, free market individuals, however you want to describe that uh, coalition of and uh, thought processes that are going on. So I call it MAGA Health. And MAGA Health places individuals in small group uninsurables, people who are uninsurable if they go through any normal underwriting process. Uh, They've got cancer. They've got uh, heart disease. They have some paralysis. um, They have all sorts of conditions, um, uh, diabetes, whatever it is. That makes them uninsurable. In the past, we wanted to ignore these people. In the past, we wanted to push them away and tell them, just go away. Uh, Here's a uh, high-risk pool that you can go into if you want lousy coverage at high cost. Well, what we do with MAGA Health is we put that population into a special focused, special plan called impaired health support coverage. Nobody wants to be high-risk. But I think most people who have a disability of some type or other, a health disability, uh, recognize that they have impaired health and they need support, hence the name impaired health support plans. If you do that, if you pull people out who have very high cost or at least high risk, maybe their costs aren't there yet, maybe that could be down the road, maybe if they didn't take care of themselves, they would be high cost. But if they maintain themselves, they're just uninsurable but not high cost. 
And there's a large part of the population that would fall into that category and description. Well, if you do that, the remaining insureds are in a pool of better risks, therefore lower expected costs. In fact, the Employee Benefit Research Institute put out a description one time of the cost distribution, and their analysis said that 1% of plan members, 1% of insureds, generate 20% of the costs. And those are the people who would be put into the impaired health support coverage. Now, I believe in terms of reasonably used guidelines that about 2 to 3% would be truly uninsurable. So if 1% got anywhere near that 20% of cost and we pulled those out of the system and put them into a special group of support to stabilize their costs, to minimize their costs, to give them all the help and support they needed, then 2 or 3% would pull down even more of the cost. Now, I'm an actuary, and I think that 1% generating 20, 20% of the cost is probably a little bit high. In my experience, it's more around 12 to 15%. But still, if we pull out 2 or 3% of the highest cost, highest risk individuals, we might very well uh, hit that 20% cost that the Employee Benefit Research Institute identifies. So this points out two things. One, that we can lower the costs for everybody else if we pull out the impaired health uh, individuals and put them into special coverage to assist them in every way possible to minimize those the cost of their either congenital issues or their acquired issues. Uh, maybe some happen by accident. Whatever the case may be, I think we can lower the cost for the remaining pool and lower the cost that would otherwise occur uh, for those who have impaired health. So based upon that research at the Employee Benefit Research Institute, the 1% of members generate 20% of total health costs, and it is this population that would benefit the most from the impaired health support coverage. It is really the opposite of what we did pre-Obamacare. It's the opposite of high-risk pools. In fact, it takes people and gives them the best coverage, the best help, the best support that any major large national insurance company would give to its plan members. And here we focus on individual and small groups getting that same kind of coverage and protection to assist them to become better citizens, healthier employees, better family members, better able to work in their community, because without good health, very little is able to be accomplished by individuals. So we do think that moving this population to the impaired health support coverages will lower the individual policy costs by some similar amount of 15 to 20%. Now, MAGA Health also recognizes the importance of a comprehensive major medical plan, but does not mandate it as the only option. Under MAGA Health, lower-cost optional plan designs are allowed to meet the varying needs of plan participants. As I mentioned earlier, just because you're uninsurable doesn't mean you're high cost. If you've been maintaining yourself, taking your doctor's uh, orders, following your medications, changing your diet, changing the way you live, in fact, what otherwise for someone else might be high cost, it's just high risk for you, but you maintain that risk concern with the changing lifestyles and uh, following doctor's orders. So you don't have high cost because um, you're doing the right things. So 
In this situation, those wanting higher deductible plans with savings to fund preventive care, for example, should have those options. Some consumers desire only short-term catastrophic coverage. They should be allowed the lower cost benefits and designs that they want. MAGA Health recognizes that health care costs can be financed at least three different ways. Insurance premiums, savings, maybe taxable savings, maybe non-taxable savings through health savings accounts or health reimbursement arrangements, and also through incentives and rewards. If you're stabilizing yourself, you're helping whoever that risk-bearing entity uh, have lower costs, you're lowering premiums, you're lowering the exposure for whether it's a subsidized pool or whether it's the employer's pool. Incentives and rewards are sort of a risk-sharing So you're doing the right things, you should get some benefit of that. But Obamacare focused mainly on premiums to finance health care. They didn't look at all three of these options. MAGA Health recognizes that if unleashed from Obamacare restrictions, the private market will develop products and services with premiums, savings, and incentives, providing customers with lower-cost financing options that would meet their needs. For some of these, especially for the small group and individuals, the federal law should be changed to allow tax-advantaged HSAs, for example, on any plan design. Right now, you have to have a very specific plan design. It has to be what they call a high-deductible health plan with legislative restrictions and limitations on exactly what that underlying plan should be. HSAs are a great vehicle for people to save and pay for their health care costs so they don't have to have higher premiums. As a result, the only way to really change that is to change the federal laws and create a new subset of HSAs that I would call HSA-eligible plans, which really shouldn't have very many restrictions, if any, on what the plan design should be. HRAs have no plan design restrictions, for example, so why shouldn't HSAs? Incentives and rewards for individuals and small groups. Consumers willing to make good health and health care choices should be able to share in the savings generated. Rewards and incentives should be provided under individual and small group plans that can be used to moderate deductibles and coinsurance. MAGA Health expands the ability for insurers to offer multiple plan designs that provide financial incentives to plan members who are compliant with healthy initiatives. Outdated state rebate laws prevent insurers from providing incentives to small employer fully insured groups that are allowed in large employer self-insured plans. So it's really not fair. Large self-insured plans have the flexibility to do many of the things we're just talking about. But the market that needs it the most, individual and small group, are prevented by state laws from getting the same designs and structures that large employers are. And we've seen the great benefits in large employer plans. Incentives and rewards have proven to lower costs, improve health, reduce unneeded use of medical care, and improve quality. Incentives can be offered for wellness, condition management, disease management, health improvement plans, and anything else that would actually lower the cost and improve the patient-provider relationship that would create a better health system. Incentives can include things like merchandise, retail merchandise, gift cards, debit cards, premium discounts, HSA contributions, co-payment reductions, deductible reductions, co-insurance reductions, 
or lower employee contributions, just to mention a few. There's no reason why these can't be provided to individual and small group plans, but they are prevented in most states. So sum all this up. Let's go back and talk about the cost impact of MAGA Health and what it could do by putting people who need the most help into a subsidized impaired health support group. Incentives and rewards can lower the cost of insurance by more than 20%. Incentives based on health status are allowed for large self-funded groups. The Federal Department of Labor allows incentives up to 20 to 30% of premiums for health status and unlimited incentives for participation rewards. So large employer groups have adopted many of these incentives. However, Obamacare's single risk pool mandate for small employers discourages implementation of these effective cost-saving programs for small group fully insured plans. I hope we've laid out the issue here for what needs to change and how we can actually reach the people that need the most help, lower the premiums for individuals and small groups, and give them different ways of financing care than just through premiums. So time is up for this segment. We're going to take a break, and I hope you come back with Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We'll be back after these words from sponsors. Thank you. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We've been talking about how to create a private free market health insurance system, uh, past discussions and information and how all this would work on some previous um, podcasts. On previous programs, we talked about this on uh, Thursday at 11 o'clock, where this program is being broadcast at America's Web Radio. So we've been going over the entire structure, how something like this could occur so that we have coverage of guaranteed issue and a free market, voluntary health insurance system, voluntary by individuals who want to get coverage, voluntary by insurance companies that want to participate in a very special structure that would encourage them to participate. And if they don't, that's okay. They'll suffer the consequences of it in a market that is balanced between the consumer and the insurance companies, all with the intent of being consumer-oriented and patient-centered. It really should help improve the patient-provider relationship by having health insurance that isn't trying to delay, deny, defeat, individuals who are just trying to get the coverage that they need for themselves and their family. So let's continue. Now that we've talked about in the last couple sessions, including some of the carryover from the previous week, we've talked about cost, quality, and access of care. At the end of the day, the most important area for everybody to understand is this new entity that I've described as the Impaired Health Support Group. 
The impaired health support group is the opposite of what we had in the past, which we referred to as high-risk pools. Sometimes the best way for people to at least understand the core of what I'm doing is maybe to refer to this as high-risk pools, but it's really not. It's really the opposite of high-risk pools and how you want to treat the sickest among us. The best way to provide the coverage that I'm talking about, the best way to engage people in understanding the support that's necessary for people who are sick is to describe this as coalescing them into coverage, into a system that will give them every benefit to stabilize their chronic and persistent condition, to help them recover to the extent that they can, but also just to give them every support that they need to be able to be productive citizens and to get them to where they and their family uh, feel like nobody has forgotten and nobody's shunned them off into some nebulous high-risk pool that we used to do in the past. So this impaired health support group, I want to spend more time and describe. And then we'll also have a session probably after this one or the next one about how that's financed appropriately because any politician looking at this, anybody think about this, well, how do we support, how does we make this work? Because this is uh, a subsidized group with both state and or federal funds and or private entities. And there's also a structure of creating other fees. There's probably eight or ten ways that we can create a stream of funding to support the impaired health uh, concept. So the impaired health support group coverage is designed to provide maximum help and support for those most in need. I think that's where we are as Americans. We want to help those who are most in need. Every beneficial service and assistance will be available to those with chronic and persistent illnesses. MAGA Health will assure the best care and treatments for the sickest among us. The Impaired Health Support Group is not, I repeat, not a traditional pre-Obamacare high-risk pool. I want that to sink in. For anybody who's reading through this, studying this, thinking about it, it is not the pre-Obamacare high-risk pool. And here's how it differs. First, the Impaired Health Support Group coverage will provide all the health management, condition management, health literacy, and decision support programs, account-based options, and incentives that are available to any large employer-sponsored group plan. That wasn't the case with high-risk pools. We kind of just shunned them off into the side and said, go away. We really don't need or want you to bother us. Just go away. Bad coverage, high premiums. This is doing the opposite. Second, it's focused on wellness and disease management outreach that will be available from support programs that work with individuals on their chronic and persistent health issues. Third, the insurance coverage is a comprehensive major medical plan. In other words, it's going to cover any and all illnesses. Yes, it may have a deductible or copay just like any plan has, but those are affordable uh, cost-sharing mechanisms so that everybody has some skin in the game. And while it does allow an option for comprehensive major medical, it also has options for lower coverages, lower premium plans, 
HSA eligible plans, all the different options, because as we've said in previous sessions, high risk does not necessarily mean high cost. Someone with an impaired health is not necessarily high cost. They may want a high deductible where they can finance that care in several ways. Incentives and rewards, they're actually following the doctor's orders, and those costs are minimized because they are taking care of themselves and being healthy. They don't have to be hospitalized. They don't have to have more medical care, more visits, because they're following their doctor's orders. But the insurance coverage is a broad spectrum. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's up to the individual to decide which insurance option they want within the impaired health support plans. Fourth, the administrative costs, insurance premiums, and claim costs can be subsidized by fees, penalties, state coffers, federal funds, private and public charity contributions. So there's a whole stream of potential funding mechanisms. Fifth, Insurance is provided through a group plan rather than individual policies. This is really important because as plan administrators, insurers typically have more resources available to help impaired lives through services offered to large employer-sponsored plans. Group plans offer more favorable coverages, more support systems, better pricing, and more effective administration than do individual plans. Most insurance companies are divided between individual and group operations, and sometimes they don't really even speak to each other. But because group plans are typically much larger because a smaller proportion of the population purchases individual coverages, all the resources and money and outreach and partnerships are established in the group side of the house. So what we would do here with the Impaired Health Support group plans is actually create a group, not an employer-sponsored group, but it's a group created of people who are uninsurable, which means being a group plan that's not based on employment, that that once you're in that impaired health support group, you can change plans within the group, but you, more importantly, you can have portable health insurance. When you change jobs, you're not changing jobs and losing your health insurance because you're part of this impaired health support group. So if you change jobs and you've got a chronic condition, you're still going to be uninsurable. So you can stay in the impaired health support group plan, get all the services and help and support that you'd otherwise get. So great advantages by creating a group plan for the population that we're talking about, as opposed to shutting them off into a high-risk pool, individual coverages that nobody really cares or wants to know much about that individual. So we have followed the ideas of MAGA Health. will lead to a consumer-centric insurance market where individuals and small groups can apply for coverage knowing that they would qualify for an affordable plan provided directly by insurers or through a subsidized impaired health support group. Empowered consumers would not avoid even the application process because they feared passing strict carrier underwriting and or have to worry that any poor health characteristics would become part of some national database that would affect other coverages for life insurance or disability or other business needs that they might have. So that's a good overview. We'll get into a lot more detail, even in further into the weeds, about how, in fact, you would finance 
and structure? Why and parent health support groups? Why would um, uh, insurance carriers even want to participate if it's on a voluntary basis? So here's the takeaways. MAGA Health will assure the best care and treatments for the sickest among us. The Impaired Health Support Group is not a traditional pre-Obamacare high-risk pool. The Impaired Health Support Plan will include all of the coverages and support services available to plan members in a large self-insured employer group plan. So let's wrap up this segment of the program with a couple of questions. What's the purpose of the Impaired Health Support Group Coverage? Well, the purpose of the Impaired Health Support Group Coverage is to provide all the support wanted and needed for the sickest among us. It provides access to affordable, comprehensive insurance for otherwise uninsurable individuals and lowers premiums for small, fully insured, employer-sponsored groups. Next question, who is eligible for coverage in the Impaired Health Support Group? Any individual is eligible who applied to a licensed participating insurer. In the next session, we're going to talk about participating insurers. But anyone who has applied to a licensed participating insurer for an individual comprehensive major medical policy and has been rejected for coverage, unable to agree on alternatives that allow for a premium of less than 25% over standard premium rates, includes contract Benefit limits of 25% or more of the policy value or any combination thereof. So it's got to be an affordable policy, affordable coverage that both the insurer and the individual has agreed upon. In addition, anyone who is part of a group of 50 or fewer employees and has a medical condition or history that causes the entire group to be priced at least 10% or higher than otherwise standard group rates. So these are some of the key issues and answers to questions that come to mind when we're talking about the Impaired Health Support Group. So when we come back, we're going to review some of this information and start to take the next step into fully understanding the benefits and structure of an Impaired Health Support Group, since this is really one of the keys to how we lower the cost and change the uh, risk pool for those who can uh, get through an underwriting process by pulling out people and putting them into an impaired health support group that really addresses their needs and can lower the cost for all of us if we can give them the kind of help and, and care that they need. Well, that gives us some good understanding of what the impaired health support group and plans are all about. Next, we're going to be talking about the insurance carriers and what it means to be a participating insurer and why that would be important to them. So it's about time for take another break, and we'll be right back with another segment. This is Ron Bachman on America's Web Radio, and the program you're listening to is Healthcare Insight. We'll see you in just a minute on the other side of the commercial. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman, and this is Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about how to create a free market private health insurance system. If you're interested in this program, the build-up to this program is on AmericasWebRadio.com. Uh, you can listen to the prior weeks 
because it all kind of fits together. We've been going through a series of explanations of details of the issues around creating that private health insurance marketplace. This is actually the sixth program that we've done. So if you like this, if you're jumping into the middle of it, uh, feel free to go back and start at the beginning and pick up some of the other pieces. I think you'll find it fascinating as to how we actually build this private free market system. It's not the easiest task in the world, but what we've laid out in fairly simple terms is how to do that. You know, it's real easy for politicians to regulate an industry or to add more government. But what's really hard is how to create a private free market system with proper government oversight in some areas, but minimized as much as possible. How do you create an equal balance between the consumer, the patient, and the hospital or the, how you encourage the patient-provider relationship to be stronger. You just don't throw this stuff up in the air and say, well, the market will figure it out because it's a very complicated market with a lot of special interests, a lot of lobbyists, and so we don't have a blank sheet of paper to start with. But the ideas that we've laid out, I think you'll find if you've been listening all along or if you go back and look at some of the details of what we've uh, structured in the previous uh, podcasts, I think you'll find it makes a lot of sense and it's a great way to be thinking about how to create a private free market system. So this segment of the program, what we're really looking at is the participating insurers. We've talked about uh, cost, quality, access to care. We've talked about the structure. Now we want to talk about how do we create a system that doesn't mandate insurers to participate, doesn't mandate individuals to be covered. It's all voluntary. So let's focus on the insurers and the participating insurers in such a program. So in a truly voluntary system, individuals and employers are not compelled to get or provide health insurance. Individuals are free to be uninsured, but there will be some tax consequences for that choice. There are some costs. You can't have just pure free riders jumping in and out of a system. Likewise, insurers are not required to participate in the use of the Health Review Authority and the impaired health support coverage that we just covered in the last segment. Insurers choosing not to participate, however, will fail, will fail to have the significant market advantages of MAGA Health. Participating insurers can apply to the Health Review Authority for individuals or small group employees who are determined to have or be at risk for high-cost health conditions. So that's only going to be available to participating insurers. So participating insurers can have also a second bite at the apple at the first renewal of a small group plan. So at the first year that you sell a plan, you can pull somebody out, put them into the high-risk pool. The impaired health support group is what I prefer to cover it. But if you're thinking about it in terms of the old days, you can think of it as a high-risk pool. What we're talking about is totally the opposite from the consumer standpoint because it gives them all the services and support and affordable cost plan. But participating insurers can, in fact, take that second bite at the apple, first at the first renewal of the group plan after having an ability to move people out into the impaired health support on initial sale. And then after the first year, if something happens during that year, an accident, a condition develops that wasn't known a year prior, 
then the participating insurer can actually pull that individual out, whether it's an employee or it's an employee's family member. So that is plan members who experienced a significant deterioration in their health can apply for coverage in the impaired health support coverage. So it really helps to lower the cost of small group plans. And that's one of the major initiatives, the major reasons for even doing this whole free market is because it's the small group. It's the individual coverages that are hurt the most in the current marketplace. And we're hurt the most pre-Obamacare. Large group plans are self-insured. They've got special laws that are under special federal laws. They're large enough to be their own risk group. And so they're not hurt as much as with government oversight, over-regulation and requirements and mandates as our small groups and individuals. So this really helps insurers to keep the premiums low in the small group and individual market. Once an individual or plan member is accepted into the impaired health support coverage, the participating insurers will not have any further financial responsibility for the claims on that individual. Participating insurers must be licensed to sell insurance products in the state they're operating in. Insurers must agree to offer both fully insured individual and small group plans. They must accept the decisions of the Health Review Authority and accept any certificate of guaranteed coverage that's presented to them. They don't have to, if they don't want to, be a participant. But if they are, this is what they have to do. We cannot allow somebody to offer just group coverage and avoid the individual market. Most insurance companies really don't care about individual policies. It takes too much time, too much effort to sell individuals one one at a time. But small groups is a very attractive market to participating insurers. So in order to access lower premium, more competitive small group plans, they're going to need to offer individual policies as well. Now, if an individual is uninsurable, they themselves would go into a group plan under the impaired health support group coverage. So those are some of the real issues for small group. Let's talk about some of the takeaways then from this concept. First, MAGA Health is entirely voluntary. Insurers are not required to participate. Two, participating insurers must agree to offer both fully insured individual and small group plans. Three, only participating insurers can apply for the impaired health support coverage for those they determine to have or be at risk for high-cost health conditions. Four, at the first renewal of a small group plan, only participating insurers can have a second bite at the apple to shift uninsurable individuals into the impaired health support coverage. Six, once accepted into the impaired health support coverage, the participating insurers will not have any further financial responsibility for the claims on those individuals. Seven, participating insurers must be licensed to sell insurance products in the state they are operating in. And eight, participating insurers must accept the decisions of the Health Review Authority and accept any certificate of guaranteed coverage that is presented to them. So, let's talk about some frequently asked questions from this general description. 
Is an insurer participation in the impaired health support coverage voluntary? Well, we talked about this several times already. The answer is yes. Nothing requires insurers to contract with the Health Review Authority to participate in the impaired health support coverage. Access to the impaired health support coverage is limited to those insurers contracting with the Health Review Authority for reviewing both eligible group members and individual applications. Next, what insurers are eligible to provide coverage in the impaired health support coverage plans? Any participating insurance company authorized to, trans- to transact accident and sickness insurance business in a state, any nonprofit medical service corporation, any nonprofit hospital service corporation, any health care plan, and any health maintenance organization authorized to trans- transact business in a state. Next question, what are the insurer's obligations as participants in the impaired health support coverage? Well, insurers must agree to participate for both fully insured small group members and individual applicants. Participating insurers must accept the determinations by the Health Review Authority of uninsurable and insurable decisions for small group plan members and individuals. All right, then now, how will the impaired health support coverage affect insurers' underwriting? And insurers participating in the impaired health support coverage will not change, impose, or impinge on an insurer's ability to set or use individual or group underwriting standards as defined by each insurer. However, over time, given the process we've set up, Given the balancing of power between the consumer and the insurance companies, given the leveling of the playing field, over time an insurer might voluntarily adjust its risk selection process to minimize the required acceptance of those with certificates to guarantee coverage. An insurer who would reject a lot of lives might wind up with people coming to them with certificates of guaranteed coverage that are not as good a health status as the people they rejected. So insurance companies over time should wind up accepting people with similar standards of what's truly going to wind up being uninsurable before they try to send people off to the Health Review Authority. So why would an insurer voluntarily participate with the Health Review Authority? Insurers participating with the Health Review Authority will be able to offer individual and fully insured employer-sponsored small group plans that have significantly lower premiums. Insurers will gain market share by covering more individual lives in the impaired health support group at profitable, subsidized premiums. Any insured not participating will be at a significant disadvantage in pricing fully insured small group plans, offering lower-priced individual policies and gaining market share on them. And finally, can insurers terminate after joining the impaired health support coverage? Yes, insurers can terminate the agreement with the Health Review Authority with at least a 180-day notification in writing to the Health Review Authority. The insurer will retain coverage for those lives covered while under contract to the impaired health support coverage. The Health Review Authority can immediately suspend 
or terminate the agreement of any insurer if the insurer fails to meet participating standards. So that's a pretty good overview of why companies will voluntarily engage as a participating insurer in the whole MAGA health structure. The structure has some balances, creates an equalizing of the playing field between a consumer and the insurance companies. It also creates a structure so that the government subsidies and the insurance companies have a balance there. You can't have a system with the Health Review Authority that would drive everything into the um, uninsured category. That would be if the insurance company dominated that. Also, you can't have the Health Review Authority dominated by governmental interests that would not accept people into a subsidized coverage where the state would have some financial uh, responsibility and just force the insurance companies to take people who are uninsured. So the real key ultimately in making this successful is the structure, the governance, the rules, the regulations around the Health Review Authority. I believe that can be done. It's been done in other areas where there are are moderators, that there are mediators that can work between industry and government. But it's a very critical issue, ultimately. And we want to talk about the funding of the impaired health support coverage in our next segment. Well, time is up for this segment of the program. We'll be right back after this commercial message on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and the program is Healthcare Insight. Let's talk now about funding the impaired health support coverage. Pre-Obamacare, when we had those, what I now say were totally inappropriate, high-risk pools, the issue around them and why they were so inadequate, poor coverage, didn't focus on the consumer or the patient, was because of the funding difficulties. So let's see how the funding difficulty would change under MAGA Health. Because it's critical to broad-based support for MAGA Health that the Health Review Authority and the impaired health support coverages themselves must be self-supporting or nearly so, with minimal annual financial drain on any state budget. But without any federal subsidies, any state implementing MAGA Health is financially protected by a limitation on how many lives that may be accepted into a subsidized impaired health support plan to the states. And the monies that are being allocated today for Obamacare would be removed and reallocated, if you will, into covering the impaired health support coverage. Be a lot less than the cost of Obamacare, which when it was implemented was $1 trillion. So let's talk about the funds that would actually go into the impaired health support coverage and the operating funds for the Health Review Authority. Well, it should operate as a self-sufficient entity deriving operating funds from several sources. First, There should be membership fees charged to participating insurers. So if insurers want the benefits of MAGA Health and the the availability of the Health Review Authority that could be shifting people into the impaired health support coverage, removing the financial burden of those high-cost individuals from the marketplace, the 
participating insurers uh, would pay a membership fee. Two, processing fees charged to contracting participating insurers based upon time and expense required to review qualifying eligible group member applications. The Health Review Authority can refund in whole or in part fees paid by insurers if the applicant is determined to be uninsurable. So if an insurance company was to submit a bunch of individuals to the Health Review Authority, but they really weren't uninsurable, then the Health Review Authority would be able to charge the group for sending them people that really shouldn't have been sent to them at the beginning. That's true of group, the small group member applications. Secondly, if we're talking about individual policies that are being sent to the Health Review Authority, there similarly should be processing fees charged to contracting insurers based upon the time and expense required to review qualifying eligible individual applications. The Health Review Authority can refund in whole or in part fees paid by insurers if the applicant is determined to be truly uninsurable. So again, it creates an equalizing balancing uh, determination by the insurance company as to whether somebody would be truly uninsurable and the Health Review Authority that determines if in fact they're uninsurable or they should be insurable and are granted a certificate of guaranteed coverage. So that way the insurance companies won't just be dumping people on the Health Review Authority and have them do the underwriting because it'll cost the insurance companies, um, if they do that. There could be processing fees that are to be paid by qualifying eligible individual members who directly request a review by the Health Review Authority. In other words, if an individual believes that they're uninsurable, they can be submitted uh, directly without going through an insurance company making that submittal for a small group plan. The Health Review Authority can refund in whole or in part Fees paid by qualified individuals or members if the applicant is determined to be uninsurable. Similarly, for individuals, processing fees to be paid by qualifying eligible individuals who directly request a review by the Health Review Authority. The Health Review Authority can refund in whole or in part the fees paid by qualified individuals if the applicant is determined to be uninsurable. The Health Review Authority is also authorized to request state and federal funding for initial organization and operational expenses of the Health Review Authority. In other words, state and federal funds, in fact, are available for helping to establish. There's going to be some upfront costs, just like any business. There are some cash flow issues at the front end before the operation gets to be self-sustaining. So there can be some funds that are put up front by state and federal funds. Next, the Health Review Authority is authorized to seek federal or private grants to support the establishment of operations of the authority and the impaired health support coverage. So there are organizations out there, there are nonprofits, there are foundations that would like to find ways to more effectively cover the uninsured than what we did pre-Obamacare by just shifting them off into high-risk pools. This can be a very attractive um, process that would meet the needs and the structure and the mission of private not-for-profits. Another way to get revenue in is other revenues that are determined by the board 
that are not listed here, but there could be some other revenue opportunities as approved by the authorities governing board. So there's eight different ways and opens up a door for many others to be able to fund the operational expenses. We're not talking about the claims at this point, but how do we fund on an ongoing basis the costs of operating the Health Review Authority? Now, as to funding plan claims, let's talk about that separately. The impaired health support coverage will be funded substantially from uninsured individuals who lose part or all of their federal or state income tax standard personal or family exemptions due to voluntarily choosing to be uninsured. Now, I know for some this might say, well, that's kind of what Obamacare did. Well, Obamacare was different. It charged a penalty in your income tax. What this approach says is, you know, there's some logic to the idea we can't have free riders. We can't have people just willy-nilly coming in and out of a system that we create that's both voluntary and has guaranteed issue. So if you voluntarily decide to be uninsured, what's going to happen? At some point, you're going to need health care. I kind of liken it to the idea that I can guarantee 100%, 100% accuracy that everybody listening to this program today is going to die. We don't like to think about it, but it's a reality. Well, similarly, I can guarantee almost at 100% the same number that at some point everybody's going to get sick, have high health care costs, be hospitalized, have some illness. Very few of us are just going to die so immediately healthy walking down the street and get hit by a car. Maybe they don't have a lot of health care costs at the end, but most everybody else will. So, There has to be some penalty for people who voluntarily choose to be uninsured. And the suggestion here is let's remove part of the federal and or state income tax standard or personal deduction or family exemptions. And that's their penalty. They don't get that benefit in the tax code. The state and or IRS Department of Revenue will calculate the increased income tax from returns showing the loss of exemptions and submit some percentage, I'll throw out 80% of that tax amount to cover claims or other expenses of the impaired health support coverage. You know, today we have about 28.5 million people that are uninsured voluntarily under Obamacare. So I think the number that even if we set up a voluntary system like MAGA Health, it will still have a good number of people who decide that they're just too healthy, don't want to pay for it, They'll get it later on, and they sort of are doing a prepayment into the impaired health support coverage, which is where they're going to wind up when they actually need coverage. So let's let them pay a little bit into the system over the years, and then we'll have that funded for everybody else and funded for them when they need it. In addition, all premiums paid by covered lives will be used solely for the administration and payment of claims under the impaired health support coverage. So in other words, this isn't free coverage. There's going to be some premium. Everybody has to have some cost, something in the game that encourages them to follow the doctor's orders, to lower the cost, to uh, take care of themselves. And so there will be some premiums for people in the impaired health support coverage. It just won't be as high as it was under the old high-risk pool, and it will be affordable for people who really need coverage. 
In addition, commissions will be paid by participating insurers of at least 4% on all policies placed with the impaired health support coverage. Insurer or administrator will be under no contractual obligation to compensate another agent, broker, or third party for the placements made through the Health Review Authority. So in other words, the way it works today in the marketplace is insurance companies typically pay a commission to a broker or an agent when they sell an individual or small group plan. Well, under this approach, the insurance company will pay a commission to the impaired health support coverage. It will be put into there rather than into a broker's pocket. The agent's going to benefit because they're going to have more affordable small group and individual policies that are truly insurable, and they'll get their commission off of that part of the marketplace. But the people who go into the high-risk uninsured marketplace will have that commission, if you will, reallocated down to actually cover the cost of the impaired health support coverage. Another stream of income, the impaired health support coverage is authorized to receive direct funds from third parties into health savings accounts for specific individuals if such an account is properly established by the individual. And then state general assemblies shall authorize, and I'll put up a number, shall authorize up to $10 million per year for the operations and payment of benefits under the impaired health support coverage. So these areas uh, can be adjusted uh, based upon states. If states are doing it by themselves, it's still entirely fundable through these other mechanisms. So what are the key takeaways? The Health Review Authority and the Impaired Health Support Coverage will be financially self-supporting. Without passage of MAGA Health, states can limit their financial exposure by limiting how many individuals may be accepted into a subsidized impaired health support plan. So you don't need federal legislation to make this work. It works better with federal legislation, and you don't have to limit how many people can go into the impaired health support plan. But with federal legislation, you wouldn't have that limitation. There are above, we talked through, eight revenue streams that are identified to cover the health reviews authorities' operational costs. The impaired health support coverage will be substantially funded from uninsured individuals who lose part of their standard personal or family income tax exemptions. Eight additional revenue streams are identified to cover the claim costs of the impaired health support coverage. So that in total gives us 16 different ways to support the operations and the claims of the impaired health support plans. Well, we're at the end of another hour of Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. I hope you've been following this and that you can go back and pick up any of the uh, segments on the uh, podcasts that are available on americaswebradio.com. We're going to continue with this process, outline the final details. There's a lot more to cover on finalizing how we create a free market private health care system. I hope this is educational to everyone. I appreciate the comments, the questions, the input that's been made on the process we've set up so far. We've had some interest from elected officials. We've had interest from the general public. And it's really exciting that the discussion is starting. I think it's going to be a major part of the 2020 election. And so I hope this is helpful for those who are in favor of free markets as opposed to a government takeover 
of our health care system with a Medicare for all or a single payer system. See you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.